Section 19 of Our National Parks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Our National Parks by John Muir. Chapter 9, Part 3. I spent several days exploring the ridge and counting the annual wood rings on a large number of stumps in the clearings, then replenished my bread sack and pushed on southward. All the way across the broad, rough basins of the Kaiway and Tule rivers, Sequoia ruled supreme, forming an almost continuous belt for sixty or seventy miles waving up and down in huge massy mountain billows in compliance with the grand glacier-plowed topography day after day from grove to grove canyon to canyon i made a long wavering way terribly rough in some places for brownie but cheery for me for big trees were seldom out of sight we crossed the rugged picturesque basins of redwood creek the North Fork of the Kaway, the Marble Fork, gloriously forested, and full of beautiful cascades and falls, sheer and slanting, infinitely varied with broad curly foam fleeces and strips of embroidery in which the sunbeams revel. Thence we climbed into the noble forest on the Marble and Middle Fork Divide, after a general exploration of the Kaway Basin, this part of the Sequoia Belt seemed to me the finest, and I then named it the Giant Forest. It extends a magnificent growth of giants, grouped in pure temple groves, ranged in colonnades along the sides of meadows, or scattered among the other trees from the granite headlands overlooking the hot foothills and plains of the San Joaquin back to within a few miles of the old glacier fountains at an elevation of five thousand to eight thousand four hundred feet above the sea when i entered this sublime wilderness the day was nearly done the trees with rosy glowing countenances seemed to be hushed and thoughtful as if waiting in conscious religious dependence on the sun and one naturally walked softly and awe-stricken among them I wandered on, meeting nobler trees where all are noble, subdued in a general calm, as if in some vast hall, pervaded by the deepest sanctities and solemnities that sway human souls. At sundown the trees seemed to cease their worship and breathe free. I heard the birds going home. I too sought a home for the night on the edge of a level meadow, where there is a long open view between the evenly ranked trees standing guard along its sides then after a good place was found for poor brownie who had had a hard weary day sliding and scrambling across the marble canyon i made my bed and supper and lay on my back looking up to the stars through pillared arches finer far than the pious heart of man telling its love ever reared then i took a walk up the meadow to see the trees in the pale light they seemed still more marvelously massive and tall than by day heaving their colossal heads into the depths of the sky among the stars some of which appeared to be sparkling on their branches like flowers 
i built a big fire that vividly illumined the huge brown boles of the nearest trees and the little plants and cones and fallen leaves at their feet keeping up the show until i fell asleep to dream of boundless forests and trail building for brownie joyous birds welcomed the dawn and the squirrels now their food cones were ripe and had to be quickly gathered and stored for winter began their work before sunrise my tea and bread crumb breakfast was soon done and leaving jaded brownie to feed and rest i sauntered forth to my studies in every direction sequoia ruled the woods most of the other big conifers were present here and there but not as rivals or companions they only served to thicken and enrich the general wilderness trees of every age cover craggy ridges as well as the deep moraine soiled slopes and plant their magnificent shafts along every brookside and meadow bogs and meadows are rare or entirely wanting in the isolated groves north of king's river here there is a beautiful series of them lying on the broad top of the main dividing ridge embedded in the very heart of the mammoth woods as if for ornament their smooth plushy bosoms kept bright and fertile by streams and sunshine resting a while on one of the most beautiful of them when the sun was high it seemed impossible that any other forest picture in the world could rival it there lay the grassy flowery lawn three-fourths of a mile long smoothly outspread basking in mellow autumn light colored brown and yellow and purple streaked with lines of green along the streams and ruffled here and there with patches of ledum and scarlet vaccinium around the margin there is first a fringe of azalea and willow bushes colored orange-yellow enlivened with vivid dashes of red cornell as if painted then up spring the mighty walls of the verdure three hundred feet high the brown fluted pillars so thick and tall and strong they seem fit to uphold the sky the dense foliage swelling forward in rounded bosses on the upper half variously shaded and tinted that of the young trees dark green of the old yellowish an aged lightning-smitten patriarch standing a little forward beyond the general line with knotty arms outspread was covered with gray and yellow lichens and surrounded by a group of saplings whose slender spires seemed to lack not a single leaf or spray in their wondrous perfection such was the Kaway meadow picture that golden afternoon and as i gazed every color seemed to deepen and glow as if the progress of the fresh sun work were visible from hour to hour while every tree seemed religious and conscious of the presence of god a free man revels in a scene like this and time goes by unmeasured i stood fixed in silent wonder or sauntered about shifting my points of view studying the physiognomy of separate trees and going out to the different color patches to see how they were put on and what they were made of giving free expression to my joy exulting in nature's wild immortal vigor and beauty never dreaming any other human being was near suddenly the spell was broken by dull bumping thudding sounds and a man and horse came in sight at the farther end of the meadow where they seemed sadly out of place a good big bear or mastodon or a megatherium would have been more in keeping with the old mammoth forest 
nevertheless it is always pleasant to meet one of our own species after solitary rambles and i stepped out where i could be seen and shouted when the rider reined in his galloping mustang and waited my approach he seemed too much surprised to speak until laughing in his puzzled face i said that i was glad to meet a fellow mountaineer in so lonely a place then he abruptly asked what are you doing how did you get here i explained that i came across the canyons from yosemite and was only looking at the trees oh then i know he said greatly to my surprise you must be john muir he was herding a band of horses that had been driven up the rough trail from the lowlands to feed on these forest meadows a few handfuls of crumb detritus was all that was left in my bread sack so i told him that i was nearly out of provision and asked whether he could spare me a little flour oh yes of course you can have anything i've got he said just take my track and it will lead you to my camp in a big hollow log on the side of a meadow two or three miles from here i must ride after some strayed horses but i'll be back before night in the meantime make yourself at home he galloped away to the northward i returned to my own camp saddled brownie and by the middle of the afternoon discovered his noble den in a fallen sequoia hollowed by fire a spacious log-house of one log carbon lined centuries old yet sweet and fresh weather-proof earthquake-proof likely to outlast the most durable stone castle and commanding views of garden and grove grander far than the richest king ever enjoyed brownie found plenty of grass and i found bread which i ate with views from the big round ever open door soon the good samaritan mountaineer came in and i enjoyed a famous rest listening to his observations on trees animals adventures etc while he was busily preparing supper in answer to inquiries concerning the distribution of the big trees he gave a good deal of particular information of the forest we were in and he had heard that the species extended a long way south he knew not how far i wandered about for several days within a radius of six or seven miles of the camp surveying boundaries measuring trees and climbing the highest points for general views from the south side of the divide i saw telling ranks of sequoia crowned headlands stretching far into the hazy distance and plunging vaguely down into profound canyon depths foreshadowing weeks of good work i had now been out on the trip more than a month and i began to fear my studies would be interrupted by snow for winter was drawing nigh where there isn't a way make a way is easily said when no way at the time is needed but to the sierra explorer with a mule traveling across the canyon lines of drainage the brave old phrase becomes heavy with meaning there are ways across the sierra graded by glaciers well marked and followed by men and beasts and birds and one of them even by locomotives but none natural or artificial along the range and the explorer who would thus travel at right angles to the glacial ways must traverse canyons and ridges extending side by side in endless succession roughened by side gorges and gulches and stubborn chaparral and defended by innumerable sheer fronted precipices 
my own ways are easily made in any direction but brownie though one of the toughest and most skilful of his race was oftentimes discouraged for want of hands and caused endless work wild at first he was tame enough now and when turned loose he not only refused to run away but as his troubles increased came to depend on me in such a pitiful touching way i became attached to him and helped him as if he were a good-natured boy in distress and then the labor grew lighter bidding good-bye to the kind sequoia cave-dweller we vanished again in the wilderness drifting slowly southward sequoias on every ridge-top beckoning and pointing the way in the forest between the middle and east forks of the Kaway, i met a great fire and as fire is the master scourge and controller of the distribution of trees i stopped to watch it and learn what i could of its works and ways with the giants it came racing up the steep chaparral-covered slopes of the East Fork Canyon with passionate enthusiasm in a broad cataract of flames, now bending down low to feed on green bushes, devouring acres of them at a breath, now towering high in the air as if looking abroad to choose a way, then stooping to feed again, the lurid flapping surges and the smoke and terrible rushing and roaring, hiding all that is gentle and orderly in the work but as soon as the deep forest was reached the ungovernable flood became calm like a torrent entering a lake creeping and spreading beneath the trees where the ground was level or sloped gently slowly nibbling the cake of compressed needles and scales with flames an inch high rising here and there to a foot or two on dry twigs and clumps of small bushes and brome grass only at considerable intervals were fierce bonfires lighted where heavy branches broken off by snow had accumulated or around some venerable giant whose head had been stricken off by lightning i tethered brownie on the edge of a little meadow beside a stream a good safe way off and then cautiously chose a camp for myself in a big stout hollow trunk not likely to be crushed by the fall of burning trees and made a bed of ferns and boughs in it the night however and the strange wild fireworks were too beautiful and exciting to allow much sleep there was no danger of being chased and hemmed in for in the main forest belt of the sierra even when swift winds are blowing fires seldom or never sweep over the trees in broad all-embracing sheets as they do in the dense rocky mountain woods and in those of the cascade mountains of oregon and washington here they creep from tree to tree with tranquil deliberation allowing close observation though caution is required in venturing around the burning giants to avoid falling limbs and knots and fragments from dead shattered tops though the day was best for study i sauntered about night after night learning what i could and admiring the wonderful show vividly displayed in the lonely darkness the ground fire advancing in long crooked lines gently grazing and smoking on the close-pressed leaves springing up in thousands of little jets of pure flame on dry tassels and twigs and tall spires and flat sheets with jagged flapping edges dancing here and there on grass tufts and bushes big bonfires blazing in perfect storms of energy where heavy branches mixed with small ones lay smashed together in hundred-cord piles 
big red arches between spreading root swells and trees growing close together huge fire-mantled trunks on the hill slopes glowing like bars of hot iron violet-coloured fire running up the tall trees tracing the furrows of the bark in quick quivering rills and lighting magnificent torches on dry shattered tops and ever and anon with a tremendous roar and burst of light young trees clad in low descending feathery branches vanishing in one flame two or three hundred feet high one of the most impressive and beautiful sights was made by the great fallen trunks lying on the hillsides all red and glowing like colossal iron bars fresh from a furnace two hundred feet long some of them and ten to twenty feet thick after repeated burnings have consumed the bark and sapwood the sound charred surface being full of cracks and sprinkled with leaves is quickly overspread with a pure rich furred ruby glow almost flameless and smokeless producing a marvellous effect in the night another grand and interesting sight are the fires on the tops of the largest living trees flaming above the green branches at a height of perhaps two hundred feet entirely cut off from the ground fires and looking like signal beacons on watch-towers from one standpoint i sometimes saw a dozen or more those in the distance looking like great stars above the forest floor at first i could not imagine how these sequoia lamps were lighted but the very first night strolling about waiting and watching i saw the thing done again and again the thick fibrous bark of old trees is divided by deep nearly continuous furrows the sides of which are bearded with the bristling ends of fibres broken by the growth swelling of the trunk and when the fire comes creeping around the feet of the trees it runs up these bristly furrows in lovely pale blue quivering bickering rills of flame with a low earnest whispering sound to the lightning shattered top of the trunk which in dry indian summer with perhaps leaves and twigs and squirrel-gnawed cone scales and seed wings lodged in it is readily ignited these lamp-lighting rills the most beautiful fire streams i ever saw last only a minute or two but the big lamps burn with varying brightness for days and weeks throwing off sparks like the spray of a fountain while ever and anon a shower of red coals comes sifting down through the branches followed at times with startling effect by a big burned-off chunk weighing perhaps half a ton the immense bonfires where fifty or a hundred cords of peeled split smashed wood has been piled around some old giant by a single stroke of lightning is another grand sight in the night the light is so great i found i could read common print three hundred yards from them and the illumination of the circle of onlooking trees is indescribably impressive other big fires roaring and booming like waterfalls were blazing on the upper sides of the trees on hill slopes against which limbs broken off by heavy snow had rolled while branches high overhead tossed and shaken by the ascending air current seemed to be writhing in pain perhaps the most startling phenomenon of all was the quick death of childlike sequoias only a century or two of age in the midst of the other comparatively slow and steady firework one of these tall beautiful saplings leafy and branchy would be seen blazing up suddenly all in one heaving 
booming passionate flame reaching from the ground to the top of the tree and fifty to a hundred feet or more above it with a smoke column bending forward and streaming away on the upper free-flowing wind to burn these green trees a strong fire of dry wood beneath them is required to send them up a current of air hot enough to distill inflammable gases from the leaves and sprays then instead of the lower limbs gradually catching fire and igniting the next and the next in succession the whole tree seems to explode almost simultaneously and with awful roaring and throbbing a round tapering flame shoots up two or three hundred feet and in a second or two is quenched leaving the green spire a black dead mast bristled and roughened with down curling boughs nearly all the trees that have been burned down are lying with their heads uphill because they are burned far more deeply on the upper side on account of broken limbs rolling down against them to make hot fires while only leaves and twigs accumulate on the lower side and are quickly consumed without injury to the tree but green resinless sequoia wood burns very slowly and many successive fires are required to burn down a large tree fires can run only at intervals of several years and when the ordinary amount of firewood that has rolled against the gigantic trunk is consumed only a shallow scar is made which is slowly deepened by recurring fires until far beyond the center of gravity and when at last the tree falls it of course falls uphill the healing folds of wood layers on some of the deeply burned trees show that centuries have elapsed since the last wounds were made when a great sequoia falls its head is smashed into fragments about as small as those made by lightning which are mostly devoured by the first running hunting fire that finds them while the trunk is slowly wasted away by centuries of fire and weather one of the most interesting fire actions on the trunk is the boring of those great tunnel-like hollows through which horsemen may gallop all of these famous hollows are burned out of the solid wood for no sequoia is ever hollowed by decay when the tree falls the brash trunk is often broken straight across into sections as if sawed into these joints the fire creeps and on account of the great size of the broken ends burns for weeks or even months without being much influenced by the weather after the great glowing ends fronting each other have burned so far apart that their rims cease to burn the fire continues to work on it in the centers and the ends become deeply concave then heat being radiated from side to side the burning goes on in each section of the trunk independent of the other until the diameter of the bore is so great that the heat radiated across from side to side is not sufficient to keep them burning it appears therefore that only very large trees can receive the fire auger and have any shell rim left fire attacks the large trees only at the ground consuming the fallen leaves and humus at their feet doing them but little harm unless considerable quantities of fallen limbs happen to be piled about them their thick mail of spongy unpitchy almost unburnable bark affording strong protection therefore the oldest and most perfect unscarred trees are found on ground that is nearly level while those growing on hillsides against which falling branches roll are always deeply scarred on the upper side and as we have seen are sometimes burned down 
the saddest thing of all was to see these hopeful seedlings many of them crinkled and bent with the pressure of winter snow yet bravely aspiring at the top helplessly perishing and young trees perfect spires of verdure and naturally immortal suddenly changed to dead masts yet the sun looked cheerily down the openings in the forest roof turning the black smoke to a beautiful brown as if all was for the best end of section nineteen